That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Let's say you, Richard Ellick Murdoch, are you guilty or not guilty of the felonies wherein you stand and die? Not guilty. How shall you be tried? By God and my country. The exact time when Paul and Maggie Murdoch were murdered. At the end of the investigation, it was obvious. I'm not here to work with them. Okay. And the whole point is to have this not fall in the wrong hands. This case is unique, it's unprecedented in South Carolina history. That call was placed to Barber at 6 7 2021 20, at 7.50, 19 p.m. That's the last answered call or one that was shown in the direction of outgoing. Well, welcome to Unsolved South Carolina, the Murdoch Murdered Money and Mystery. I am here with our exclusive analyst, South Carolina former Attorney General Charlie Condon. Thank you so much for being here. Drew Tripp, executive producer, off to the side. Can't see him, but he will be absolutely uh, pitching into this very important day of testimony. We also have um, Maxwell Harrison. In the back, he is uh, running the controls tonight for us, which we are appreciative of. Now, we, we're going to go straight into what happened this afternoon. I think we should just really, I mean, we're all kind of still kind of taking it in, mm-hmm. aren't we? Oh. What we heard very late this afternoon, the state had spent time, gosh, I mean, two, maybe three hours setting up mm-hmm. the protocols, mm-hmm. the uh, way they look at these cell phones, because we had Maggie's cell phone, Alex's cell phone, and Paul's cell phone. These are the three phones that they are focusing on right now. And um, and we talked to, or we heard from the cell phone forensics expert who really started breaking down what this meant. And finally, 4.30 comes around, and we are only an hour left, really, of court, and we start actually hearing what happened. So... That was uh, probably one of the biggest things what we heard was the outgoing call that you just heard that the forensics expert talked about was to um, from uh, Maggie to Barbara, correct? Yep, a uh, woman we believe named Barbara Mixon um, is associated with the Murdoch family. Uh, that would have been the last outgoing call placed by Maggie, and she did not speak to anyone on the phone again after that, whether it was a received call, and she did not make any more calls after that. That She received several more. She did not speak to anyone on the phone after that. That was the that was what we learned, and we got a really definitive timeline uh, today from the state's uh, cell phone forensics wit- expert witness uh, being Lieutenant uh, Britt Dove, Britt, uh, short for Britain. Uh, Britt Dove, he was a, with SLED. He, it was a sort of a lighthearted moment there in court. He starts reading off his list of credentials, and he makes it about two pages in. That's and right. he, asked the, he asked the judge in the court, hey, you want me to keep going? Because I've got about nine more pages here. And they said, no, no, that's enough. And he qualified as, a, as an expert witness on cell phone forensics. So he lays out the timeline for us. 
And what's crucial in that timeline is we hear what's going on as far as activity with Maggie's phone around the window of 849 to 853, 8.55 p.m. on the night of June 7th, 2021, which the state established in opening statements is the estimated time of death for Maggie and Paul Murdoch when they were murdered. Yes. yes, Charlie, sir. I mean, as far as cell phone evidence goes, how does this compare? I, I pulled up my cell phone because it was Maggie Murdoch testifying from the grave today with her cell phone. She is saying this is what happened. What the defense is saying, what this defendant is saying is not true. And listen to my testimony through this expert. It was really powerful. You had to it, – it was, in a sense – very technical and arguably mm -hmm. boring, but it wasn't because I could tell the jurors really listened. They, they'd lean forward, and the state's expert went through it very logically. I thought the assistant attorney general, Conrad, I believe is his name, did a really good job of going through what the evidence showed forensically. He asked, one thing I noted from a legal perspective, this, the, the assistant attorney general asked nothing but leading questions which were not objected to. That told me that the defense wanted to get this evidence through. Let's get it over with. Let's hope people don't completely understand it, I'm thinking. Because when you, and I didn't really know all this, he went through how your cell phone, and what a change we have in society if you start thinking about it. He went through how this cell phone had just so much data. Right. I think that, he said like at one point like 7,000 pages if he just printed out all the information. Yeah, not all of it. No, just a I partial. 9,000 pages. Yeah, just, oh, 9, and he was just talking about a partial a bit of that. In other wow. words, the um, so the orientation of it, whether it's landscape or portrait, whether it's plugged or unplugged, the location, the steps, he just went on and on and on. And as what they're doing, they're showing very clearly and logically that this version from the defendant that he's up there – on the couch, sleeping at a particular time. It just could not have happened the way he claims happened. It, it, it just could not have. And I think we're going to see a lot more of this. Drew, I don't know what you think about this, but I think we're going to see a lot more of this over the next day or two that will be very, very compelling. We might want to go ahead. We've got a clip that kind of goes into some more of the testimony if you want to listen to it, but unless you want to get something to, to no, tie Let's play up. the clip first. Okay. Word Alex followed by a numeral five. What does that mean? That would indicate the phone is recorded that there were five missed calls from the person identified as Alex in that contact list. Uh, and in addition, we see a missed call from Buster, correct? Yes, sir, correct. And two missed calls from John Marvin, is that correct? Yes, sir, that's correct. And this is uh, those recent messages from Maggie, correct? Yes, sir, it is. All right. And um, what types of messages would show up in this, in this inbox? In this inbox, you would receive SMS messages, a regular text message, and also MMS messages, which ones may, may also have a photo attached to them, which show up. Okay. All right. And I see uh, to the left of most of these a dot. What does that dot indicate? Yeah, and you could pick up that... This is highly technical. It takes a long time to go through it. And I really tried to pay attention very closely. And I think the jurors were, were as well. But it was taxing mentally because the data that they had printed out on these sheets and right. the foundation for it, you really had to listen very closely. But it, 
We'll see what happens from the defense standpoint, but they tried to, this is also a technical point, but before the live testimony, they tried really hard to be technical on chain of custody and to insist upon some people to come in. They really didn't want, this would be relative to Paul's phone, but I, I, I just heard that and I thought they don't want this phone. They do not want this phone information in. Yeah, they definitely objected at that point. The defense did, trying to get that chain of custody, mm -hmm. make it an issue, but it was overruled. If we don't mind, I, yeah. I've got this timeline pulled up. Good, it, good. It, and I know yeah. it was it was somewhat convoluted. I spent about an hour after yeah. court adjourned today putting it. together the timeline as, as mm -hmm. succinctly and as in order as I possibly could. So we'll start, we'll start at 8.17 p.m. This is Maggie's phone is unplugged. She takes about 38 steps. No real activity again until 8.30. She takes about 44 steps. It's crazy. Well, and I want to just put in put a pin on that just for one second because mm -hmm. that is something we've got to remember that these phones have so much data, including health data. And that's what you're talking about right now yep. are the steps that Maggie took, just like a Fitbit or Apple keeps track of it. It's how many steps. It's something we're we're used to now. Go ahead, Drew. So eight thirty, the eight thirty time frame is when things get really interesting. Uh, she takes about forty four steps during this time. At eight thirty one, she gets a text message. It's a group text with several mm -hmm. members of the Murdoch mm -hmm. family. It's John Marvin, Alex's brother, saying, uh, "You know, I'm going to go visit Dad tomorrow." Uh, he, this is around the time they learned their dad's not doing well. It's really serious. He's not doing well. That being Randolph the third. Um, John asks if anyone else is going to go. Uh, flash forward from 8.31 to 8.49. Maggie opens her phone. There's a text, new text. She reads it. It's from Alex's sister, Lynn. Alex's sister says she's got court all week. She can't go visit. Mm -hmm. Maggie locks her phone for the final time. The display mm -hmm. turns off. Mm -hmm. After 8.49 and some odd seconds p.m., Maggie's phone is not unlocked again. And again, here we get into the state's crucial time period, 849 to 855. Mm -hmm. That's when they think that the murders occurred. Mm -hmm. Suddenly at 853 and between 853 and 855 p.m., 59 steps are logged on Maggie's phone. Mm -hmm. The display turns on at 853. The phone orientation changes to portrait mode. The camera activates as if the camera was going to track your face biometrics that have a mm -hmm. lot of people unlock their phone the camera turns on briefly it doesn't unlock it doesn't record any face and then that's when it starts logging the steps and then at 855 the display turns off again no more steps are ever logged on her phone that's kind of the, that's that window of 853 to 855 it's going to be very important to see what the phone's location data has to show when we get into that tomorrow, and I'm assuming we will get into that tomorrow mm -hmm. again with Britt Dove from SLED because he is their forensic analyst. He teased it today. He teased the he teased the the fact that Maggie's phone. Everyone, you should know this about your phone. There, are any app or system on your phone has settings on what you allow and what you what you don't allow as far as what services it uses. Right. You can go in and manually turn off location services on certain certain apps and things like that. Maggie's phone had most of her apps set to only on when using that app. Mm -hmm. But crucially, the Amazon Alexa app was set to always on. Right. 
And so flashing forward ahead in the timeline a bit from 855 when the phone display turns off, no more steps are logged. Suddenly between 904 and 908, there's a flurry of missed calls Mm -hmm. from Alex's phone. Three phone calls in the the span of 904 to 906, two inside of one minute. And then at 908, a text message from Alex telling Maggie he's going to visit his mom. So at that point, it's we can assume that Alex in his car, in his SUV, on the road. What is that location going to? What is that location data going to show about Maggie's phone at that time? Considering we know it, at one ten p.m. the following day, Maggie's phone is found mm-hmm. on the side of the road about mm-hmm. a mile mm-hmm. from Moselle. Yeah, I mean, and that it just it, it is unbelievable how these phones have started to play such a critical role mm-hmm. in this murder mystery who done it it is um it is taking on this whole cyber element now which yeah, is right. yeah. fascinating mm-hmm. and one 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 question i have and get get y'all's take on this we've got the, the this forensic evidence from the phone step back from all that the defendant's version of events as i understand it is that he was at the residence what a thousand feet away mm-hmm. then you have these weapons going off right mm-hmm. rifles and shotguns and he doesn't hear it Oh, yeah. Oh, and that was a big thing today that, that might have flown under the radar for, for a lot of people. When they had John Bedingfield, Alex's cousin, uh, who is the firearms, uh, he has a firearms business on the side. He's full-time sled, not sled, I'm sorry, Department of Natural Resources agent. Uh, John Bedingfield, uh, Big John, as they call him, he comes in to testify about the two 300 blackout rifles Alec bought from him in 2016, Christmas time, 2016, John testified originally the, the Alec paid $9,000 for those guns. And that just because they included night vision mm-hmm. scopes mm-hmm. and they included suppressors, mm-hmm. suppressors, silencers, as they're commonly called. It's a misnomer. Um, suppressor, Did he take those suppressors up? He, he never, he never bought the suppressors. That's mm-hmm. crucial because it, the, the whole idea for the guns was for him to buy the suppressors, pay the, pay the tax stamp you have to pay on them, pay the $200 tax stamp, go through the background track, mm-hmm. uh, get the suppressors, put those on the guns, and use them with suppressors using a certain... This They went into all of this. It's really technical. I see what you right. mean. Yeah, it's, I see where you're going. They, if you use... Suppressors mm-hmm. are most effective right. with certain types of ammunition. And they with the 300 blackout, the bigger and heavier the bullet... The, the more of that bullet takes up space mm-hmm. inside the bullet casing. Mm-hmm. That means the less powder you can put in it. That means the slower that bullet is going to be going. And the slower mm-hmm. it's going, the more you can suppress the sound. It, it, it's more technical than that. That was the whole idea for those guns was to be able to suppress them. And Alec never paid for mm-hmm. the tax stamp to get the suppressors and John Bedingfield never turned them over to him. Mm-hmm. So those guns weren't suppressed. Which means they were loud as the devil. But yes, loud mm-hmm. as heck. Mm-hmm. And by the wow. way, didn't you think, I mean, I don't believe I've ever met him, but he was from Central Casting for this he case. He was, he was, uh, and, and he was a, he was related to Murdoch. Right. So that's what struck me about it. Here you have a, he works for the Department of Natural Resources mm-hmm. in law enforcement. He has a side business with weapons and guns as if he's licensed federally. Right. And so a bigger man, he comes into the courtroom and testifies that, I mean, understand, I mean, recall that his grandmother and defendant Alec Murdoch's grandmother were sisters. They were sisters. So and they're so, second wow. cousins, I guess. Wow. What I mean, what a, 
And I did notice as he, as he left the courtroom that he did wink at uh, John Marvin Murdoch. And so there's this relationship there. He had no contact whatsoever with the defendant. But here we are with another unusual fact going on in this case that he's cousins with the defendant and a key witness for the state. Yeah. It's incredible. He even said in court that he's much closer with Alec than he was. Or no, I'm sorry. He's much John closer Marvin. with John Marvin than he was with Alec. Yeah, that was, it was. It was quite a moment with right. that too. Well, so what we're looking at tomorrow is what Drew was just alluding to is that we have to figure out now with this location data, mm-hmm. whether or not where mm-hmm. Maggie's phone was, how how close it can they actually mm-hmm. get to the precise location? Um, how good is that data going to be and how well is it going to yes. hold up against the defense, which yes. is going to attack it for sure. I'm, They're going to try and bring in their own experts, I would expect, one would to think. fight this. So, yeah, one would um, think. Then we have Paul's phone coming up too, right? We have another person testifying oh from the grave with, with his phone. So it's in a way a battle of uh, expert testimony or forensic testimony, but putting it together with what we've heard thus far, it seems key for the state. Do you notice what other phones they subpoenaed? Marty Cook and Connor Cook. I know, I saw that, yes. And of course, Connor Cook was on the boat mm-hmm. in that fatal boat crash that killed Mallory Beach mm-hmm. and was also has been um, intertwined in this whole investigation, sled investigation, into whether or not Alec Murdoch had um, obstructed yes. sort of justice yes. in the boat crash investigation. Right. Yes, yes. The whole idea that they were, quote, trying to pin it on Connor. Right. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, what was your take, Drew and Ann, on what's the thinking, what's the state's theory that he took his wife's cell phone and threw it on the side of the road? Why, why would he do that? I don't think the state has come out and said that explicitly anywhere, not anywhere that I've read or, mm-hmm. or heard. Um but how did it end up on the side of the road? It was a fair had, distance away from... It had from... to have been. I mean, uh, one thing I didn't mention when I was uh, mm-hmm. going over that timeline a minute ago. Maggie's phone in, the, in that 904, 904 to 906 mm-hmm. time frame, Maggie's phone at the first call... So there were two calls at 906, the first of two calls. Mm-hmm. Maggie's phone's screen activated and mm-hmm. it... it or oriented itself to vert to portrait mode. Mm-hmm. As two seconds later, two seconds later, a call comes in from Alec. Okay. Yes. Wow. Meaning, according to that timeline, someone had that phone in their hand and, and flipped it over, flipped it up to portrait mode two seconds before it received a call from Alec. So was this person the murderer? Uh, some unknown person who just happened to have. Uh, who just happened to have Maggie Murdoch's phone in his hand at the very moment that Alec is calling her? Or, to Charlie's point, are we going to hear that they believe Alec personally did something with that phone or had someone do something with that phone? Don't know yet, Charlie. That's, mm-hmm. that's going to be for the state to fight, you know, mm-hmm. to, to get in there and, mm-hmm. and put in their two cents about what's going on. And I'm sure the defense will have plenty to say about this, as well as... We got to see how the jurors react to all this because it is an enormous amount of information, and and something that that I heard earlier. You know, there. I don't know how common this is. And it's the last point I wanted to ask mm-hmm. about was the jurors aren't taking any notes. Well, not allowed in South Carolina. You, okay. The jurors are not allowed to bring in a pad. Of, the thinking is, and I think it's it's actually very logical. If you if you step back, is we have an official court reporter 
who, by the way, has to decide whether it's uh, I or they, right? <laughs> the official <laughs> transcript. Wow. Yeah. So that's a, that's a. Glad you circled it, back to that, Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, great. Uh, but so, unless the, and I don't think I've ever been involved where they've allowed note taking. And the thinking is that there's an official transcript. If you take, one juror takes notes, that's given more credence to what they write down versus what other jurors heard. So typically it's, it's just not allowed. You can't do it. Even though I took about 300 pages of notes so Same far here. and filled up two notebooks. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I'm, you know, we're all still trying to like, decipher what's right. going on so it's going to be real interesting to see mm-hmm. um, how much they actually absorbed but we'll have plenty of time to talk about it because we are going back into court tomorrow morning at 9 30. anything to add well we have to uh, we have to uh put a bow on what I, charlie okay, just okay, mentioned okay, okay. the i versus they we that was the we expected that to be the big fight this morning and sure it enough was. the defense yeah. delivered uh so a brief recap on how that turned out Jim Griffin for the defense starts grilling uh, Lieutenant, or I'm sorry, I don't, I've forgotten his rank, but Jeff Croft with SLED, mm-hmm. a senior special agent with SLED, Jeff mm-hmm. Croft, the one who we heard yesterday on video with Alec uh, interviewing him June 10th, 2021, a few days after the murder. And there was the whole thing where the recording sounded like Alec said, it's so bad, I did him so bad, or... To a lot of people, it sounded like Alex said, it's so bad, they did him so bad. Right. Well, Griffin starts grilling Croft this morning. Croft says, I stand by what I testified to yesterday. It sounds like to me, he they even slowed it down to one-third speed in courtroom and played it as slow as they possibly could. It, Croft was unwavering. He said, I. And he testi- that's what he testified to. And then it kind of got to this uh, impasse where Griffin and Croft were just like, well, we'll have to let the jury decide what they heard. And then it got interesting after that where Griffin really grills him about, okay, well, assuming for the sake of argument, Alec did say... I did him so wrong. Right. Yeah. Actually, Max has the clip pulled up. Is that what you're saying, Max? Um, Max has got the clip. Let's, yeah, let's it was, it was play good. it for a second. It was effective. so bad. You asked the defendant about the traumatic picture that he saw of Paul and Maggie. What did he say? It's just so bad. I did him so bad. I did him so bad. Yes, sir. Yeah, that was um, that was what uh, Croft was maintaining, too. He didn't back down, did he? I mean, no. and, and if you want to hear more about that story, that's actually what I did my entire first mm-hmm. big part of my story really that was my story tonight at, at, at 6 p.m so you can go online at abcnews4.com and we'll have a link to it as well uh but that that is exactly what we played and he slows it down to one third and he still croft says i i hear what i hear yep. so right. now the court reporter's got to decide yeah, she does and but, but i did think to your point i thought that the defense attorney griffin did a good job and and i think Showing that, hey, this statement could be very ambiguous, so don't yep. put a lot of weight into it. And and he then took him really to task, and the state to task, as mm-hmm. they have done several times. I think that I think the defense has several times done a good job of pointing out. I, I, I'm not qualified to say failures, but shortcomings um, mm-hmm. uh, by Sled's handling of certain things. And their their point was, okay, uh, for the sake of argument, Mr. Croft. If you heard Alec Murdoch say, I did him so bad, why didn't you follow up on that? And why didn't? Right. Why was there not uh, more inquiry and 
urgency uh, how, how you handle that. And Croft's basic explanation was, listen, we have a process at that point in the investigation. We were not trying to interrogate. We were just trying to keep open lines of dialogue and communicate and get Alec talking and keep the communication flow mm-hmm. and build, build the trust so that we could build our case. They, they, they basically admit Alec was the only one in the circle of interest at that point. And they needed to keep those lines of dialogue open. And if they start challenging him on things he says, then the lines of communication shut down and they risk losing potential incriminating well, testimony right. or okay. helpful and, and testimony. Just from other crime cases that I've, mm-hmm. that I've looked at too, I do think that, that the defense is doing a very uh, good job of pointing out when there's a laser focus on Murdoch good or bad or ugly, however this turns out, there has certainly been, um, or or I've also heard like tunnel vision in, mm-hmm. you know, in, That's a point. in yes. circles mm-hmm. about these investigations. And we've seen it in past investigations mm-hmm. that we've also looked into yes. that yes. I'm thinking about. So, you know, I'm, I think you have to be uh, skeptical. Um, and, and hopefully that's exactly what all of the sled agents did as they went through this as well um, and did not let that circle. S- I mean, they said they interviewed more than 100 people um, on the case at that point. So, so hopefully we're going to hear more about, you know, how they kept their mind open. I have two more points. Uh, one, one thing that I need to circle back on and base, more or less a correction from yesterday. Uh, we weren't able to, when I was, you know, we're taking notes, we're, making our observations we weren't really able to see the video that sled was uh, the video from the body camera sled was showing and we discussed yesterday uh the attorneys uh murdoch's law partner law partners lee cope ronnie crosby mark ball all being in murdoch's house what we sort of took to be in the hours immediately after the murders having seen still images from those from that body camera footage at the end of the day yesterday that was all during the daytime this was hours after the fact uh, of the murders when those people were there next day yeah so the insin- the easy insinuation was when they when you when it's framed by me and others as they were there the night of right. the murders is that it, it's it looks and nefarious he got lawyered up. yeah but, but they were wasn't. and sled yeah. testified they were there helping and they yeah. had specific directions to what they were doing and they were not obstructing an investigation. So and they were impo- pointing out like where things were helping out. Um, yeah. according to what they were talking about today, they testified that they were actually pointing out things that they needed to take a closer look at. I still think it, the optics are not good. Um, considering how long, for instance, Charlie, we mentioned yesterday, I think how long it took the 14th circuit solicitor's office, or maybe we might've been having that in private conversation, how long it took the 14th circuit to recuse itself from the investigation. Um, but there, we did get more context on that day. And I I think it's important to clarify that last point, uh, that I I wanted to bring up. It, It was about the fact that, and this goes back to, the defense trying to poke holes in how sled handled the investigation. They pretty much said today they never went in the early stages. They heard Murdoch's alibi that he'd gone to his mom's house the night of the murders. If the, mm-hmm. the narrative that the mm-hmm. defense put forth today is true, uh, I, I want to you know leave that a little bit open ended because yeah. it might be, there might be some creative 
we, I kind of heard that today with the, with the no buckshot was found on the property and no uh, waterfowl loads were found on the property. And then, oh, by the way, later we find out there actually were. Uh, J- Jim, Jim might be playing, uh, being a little bit artful with how he's phrasing things, but the way he said it, and he was not pushed back on by Croft, was the fact right. that the state sled did not go to Alec Murdoch's mother's house the day after, the morning after, the night of the murders. In fact, according to Jim Griffin, they didn't go out there until September. Right. And mm-hmm. we heard in pretrial, we heard in pretrial, a crucial piece of evidence was found at Alec Murdoch's mother's right. house. Three months later, mm-hmm. that was the first time they went, and that's mm-hmm. where he said he was the mm-hmm. night of the murders, mm-hmm. and he's the one person in the circle. There's a lot to look at. Arthur. We are going to be back here tomorrow night to recap what happens in court tomorrow. Court starts at 9.30. We think that we're going to be looking at cell phone evidence, not just from Maggie's phone, but from Paul's. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Ann Emerson, Charlie Condon, Drew Tripp, Max Harrison, and our team here, Sam Griswold and Tara Javor, who are also reporting for ABC News 4. Please check out our stories online, Facebook. Talk to you soon.